0: Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus Cal Fire's coming to you Don't miss TV's hottest show Fire Country This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success.
1: Follow the rules and you shave another day off your sentence
0: Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else
2: You're not an inmate.
0: You're a firefighter Bring it on Fire Country. New episode Friday 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount Plus
1: new cbs monday ncis is back
0: we need all hands on deck
1: so grab your gear NCIS, and join our elite team what about the charges murder. new cases to be solved
0: double tap to the chest
1: same caliber as the murder weapon and new criminals to catch
0: that's the bomb maker
2: where's the bomb
1: a new ncis monday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus
0: Hey, everybody, it's Paul and Tani. Before you listen to this episode with our fantastic guest, Phil Yu, we need you to know that it was recorded well before we started learning about the uptick in Asian hate worldwide and before it became a global conversation.
2: Yeah, so we just wanted to let you know that this episode does not touch on it because of the timeframe it was recorded, Um, but we wanted to point you to StarTrek.com for official resources and info From Star Trek. Star Trek stands with our AAPI community. That article can be found on the front page of StarTrek.com. It was written by Mike Chen with reporting from Jay Stobie. That, of course, is just a start. We encourage you to do your own research as well to find out how you can stand with us against violence, against hate, and against racism.
0: Hey, welcome back to Star Trek, the pod directive, the official Star Trek podcast. My name is Paul F. Tompkins.
2: That's right. That's his name. My name is Tawny Newsome.
0: She got it in one.
2: Got it in one. Man, <laughs> it's a real bummer when I mess up my name. So it's like what? That's the first thing you learn. What else, what else am I going to mess up if I don't that know is, that?
0: Your, your Twitter handle is literally a messing up of your name.
2: I know. And it. But I can't I, I can't change it now.
0: So Tony Newsom's Twitter handle is tr- <laughs> Trondy Newman. <laughs> because. What, what was, yeah, what was the origin of that? I don't know if I ever asked you this.
2: Because uh, I'm in a band with uh, a Welshman named John Langford, and I, this was in like 2010, and we were touring around. We were in Arlington or maybe... Yeah, maybe we were at the, the Iota Club in Arlington, Virginia. I used to love that rock club. Um, RIP to a great spot. And uh, John has a thick Welsh accent, but he said my name clearly. But, you know, it's a loud bar. And he said, you know, and singing with me tonight is Johnny Newsome. And after the show, John's, uh, John's 60 now. And so his crowd tends to be close to that age and older oftentimes because uh, he had a long, like, punk career in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, an elderly gentleman had just finished listening to a extremely loud rock and roll show in a small club. His hearing was a little blown. He did not hear my name correctly, and he came up to me outside, and he said, you sang great. What was your name? Trondy Newman. And it just wrecked me. It was the funniest, uh, n- nothing, the The last name could have been a name. The first name is not a name. Trondy And I just, I said, and I couldn't break his heart. And I said, yep, that's it. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming to the show. So then when I got on Twitter, I was just like, well, I don't want to just be my name. (laughs) Why would I do that? (laughs) Did I ever tell you,
0: I don't know if I ever told you this story. I used to host this show called Best Week Ever back in the day. Mm -hmm. This was a long time ago. And uh, I... I it was it was a, a Talking Heads comedy show where uh, a bunch of comedians, uh, various comedians, sat in front, sat alone in front of construction paper and made <laughs> jokes about the events of the week. And sure. they went to a hosted format. I was chosen as the host, and so it became Best Week Ever with Paul F. Tompkins. Uh, not long after the show, the show it only lasted a year. Um, and it was only a I, year. It was only a year that I hosted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what um,
2: I think of it as like the thing you did for years.
0: Yeah. Well, because I was on the original version, so it all kind of blends together, you know. Sure. But uh I was on a I was getting on a plane and I'm settling into my seat and this guy sits down next to me and says, "Excuse me. Aren't you Aren't you Mr. Hutchinson from Best Week Ever?" <laughs> And I said, "I said, well, I'm on, I'm on best week ever." My name is, my name is Paul F. Tompkins, and he said, "Oh, I thought it was Mr. Hutchinson."
2: (laughs) What, Mr. Hutchinson? Aren't you Scott Q. Hutchinson? You're like, uh, close. I am, uh, Paul F. Tompkins. Oh my God, that is a very funny mistake. It just was a, so
0: like I'm trying to figure out like where are you Mr. Hutchinson? Uh, Mr. Hutchinson. Hello, I'm your host Mr. Hutchinson. Mr. <laughs> Has there been any hosts that just
2: go by Mr? <laughs> just very private. You don't need to know my first name. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Rourke, I guess. Um <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Rourke. Call back to our of app. I think I read on Wikipedia
0: that Mr. Rourke's first name is Josh.
2: What? No. Oh, I'm so gullible. I'm so gullible. I, Mr. Josh Rourke.
0: <laughs> what is your fantasy?
2: Um, well this kind of interestingly segues into the conversation we had with Phil Yu about names. Oh um, I can't
0: wait to find out how.
2: Oh, <laughs> I, literally the segue is we talked about names.
0: <laughs> true, That's true. That's very true.
2: So this is a real loose. This is what we call a ham fisted uh, tie in to what <laughs> we're talking about. You're welcome, everybody. Aren't you um, Mr. Ham fist? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Aren't you John H. Hamfist? Um, But Phil Yu is a blogger and a podcaster. You may know him as Angry Asian Man on Twitter or from his blog where he talks about the Asian experience in America. You might know him from his podcast, All the Asians on Star Trek, which we get into right at the top of this interview. Uh, Really fantastic to talk to, always a fellow Star Trek fan, but also a fellow podcaster. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels like you know we're we're literally sitting in this podcast talking to him about his podcast, but it just kind of all feels like <laughs> I don't know it feels like shop talk like industry shop talk like everybody knows what this is. you know, no one's confused about the format. It just felt yeah. very, very comfortable
0: it's also I love episodes like this where um we get to get a very specific perspective that is not our own, and mm-hmm. the more we do this i you know I just it just makes me feel. I don't know, uh, more informed about the world. You know what I mean? Like, it really Mm. does, especially me, a, you know, straight, cis, white guy, like, we need to be acquainting ourselves with other people's perspectives. We need to be listening to people. And because there's just shit that you never think about, you know? There's just stuff Mm -hmm. that you never know because it's outside of your experience and you've not been encouraged to think about it. And now is the time, I think, for for us to be seeking out stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's so wonderful to have this setup where we can interview somebody like Phil about this stuff so you don't have to go to your friends and make them be the ambassadors for all, yes. <laughs> for an entire race of people or whatever. Yes. Um, I'm glad that conversations like this are recorded and exist in the world so people can seek them out and hear something um, that they didn't know before. And it's, it's for me, it's like, I'm still learning a lot of stuff and I'm grateful for the, I'm grateful for the lessons and and grateful for people that are so generous with their, with their time and their experience. And, you know, it was great to talk to Phil. He's, he was really, he was really fun and passionate and uh, smart. And, you know, I, I just had a ball chatting with him.
2: Yeah, and I, I, I so agree with everything you're saying. I also think that if you are uh, one of those people of color who maybe their friends in a very earnest way do come up and ask you uh, a lot of things, to explain a lot of things, episodes like this are something you can just like. Point them to. You can just, you know, say, hey, you should listen to this. And it doesn't have to be like, a, I don't want to talk about it. But I mean, we know that's the subtext that, you know, sometimes you don't want to be the, you're not on the clock to explain representation all the time if you don't feel like it. But someone like Phil, who's literally doing a podcast about it, these are the resources for you. And they can be fun and funny and casual. It doesn't have to be like sitting down and reading a thick ass racism book. Um, <laughs> although I do recommend some of you do that as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. I also love that um, we got into, you know, I think, and, it, and this comes up in the interview. I think I bring it up a little clumsily, if I may note myself. But I want to point out that we are able to have a conversation with Phil about things that Trek has done right in terms of representation and things where they may have missed the mark or where they still have room to grow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important that you all know that that is something that we are comfortable doing on this pod. Mm-hmm. There is not a a shyness about criticizing this thing that we love so much. It doesn't mean we love it less. It means that we want it to be the best it can be. And so being really honest about um, you know, some of the some of the mistakes of the past, that's important to us here. So yeah. We will continue to to do that, to hold the thing we love, you know, accountable.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I feel like there is definitely a um you you can see the the progression of the show, and I, I think we talk about it on this episode. The concept of a show that is set in a in a sort of utopian future for planet Earth where the the real life people in the show are trying to catch up to that idea that they have are mm-hmm. uh, that they are presenting as uh a fait accompli um mm-hmm. uh is it's a really it's kind of a actually a cool thing to watch you know to mm-hmm. to see the show uh try to grow with the times um while projecting forward I don't know it's it's a wild thing to have a blueprint <laughs> Like, this is what we're aiming for, but here's where we are right now. And we have to realize where we are right now and uh, how we can move forward to get to where we're we're hoping to be. Yeah. That was well
2: said. You get what I'm saying. It, I thought it was well said. <laughs> I'm calling that a well said thing to say.
0: Oh, I'm too sexy for my
2: shirt. <laughs> oh, God, we got to go. All right. <laughs> uh, without further ado, we will uh, get to our talk with Phil Yu right after this.
0: Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Oh, she just wanted to mute her video. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is perfect. Nothing is wrong. Nothing has happened. We're here with Phil Yu. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank
1: you. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. Um, Phil, you run an excellent podcast called All the Asians on Star Trek. And its goal, its mission is to do exactly what it says, or is it a trick title that, that does something else?
1: Uh, no, it's it, the conceit is in the title. Yeah, I, I always introduce <laughs> it as like, you'll know what I'm talking about from the title. It's All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which we <laughs> interview all the Asians on Star Trek. And uh, everyone's everyone seems to get it when I say it that way. So,
2: Yeah. It's also wild, which I'm sure is not lost on you, that you could have a podcast that aims to do that because I don't, I mean, there's no no white people could have a podcast. No, no, no. All no. the white yeah, people yeah, yeah, on yeah. Star Trek.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's, I mean, in a way it is, A, giving some shine to the Asian and Asian American performers who have been in the Star Trek franchise, right? Because a lot of them have, you know, there are series regulars and guest stars and some of them are just... They were in for two seconds, and but just giving them a little bit of uh, attention and asking them about their time on Star Trek. The other part of it, though, is kind of pointing to the fact that there aren't a lot that there aren't that many, right? There are some, but there aren't that many on Star Trek, and so highlighting all the Asians means that you know there's some there's some ways to go. The the franchise has kind of had a history of being a little more white than it should be, especially in its depiction of the future, right?
2: Sure, and yeah, and I feel like. We, you know, we we both are able to be critical and complimentary of the franchise just because it's an official pod doesn't mean we can't like, you know, say our true feelings about stuff. And I do feel like the franchise has been better about certain groups. Like I've certainly seen better black representation than we have other groups. And I, I know it's something that they still work on and strive for. And thank goodness every day it feels like 40 new shows get greenlit. So, <laughs> you know, there's plenty of room to to rectify some of that. But uh yeah, I, I like I like your show because it seems to uh, exactly what you said. it It draws attention to the fact that, hey, there could have been more. but also let's celebrate the ones that the ones that have gotten to be a part of it.
1: right. I mean, th- I I'm one of these people who grew up watching television and movie. I, I'm a, you know, just a grew up a huge pop culture fiend. But I was also as an Asian American viewer, always one of those people who watched it, like looking. In the background, anywhere, like, are there any? And then when there were, I was like, "Oh my god, there's an there's an Asian face," you know, and right. uh, it would be like a big deal. I'd be like, "Hey, everybody, come to the TV. Look, look who's here. look who's on TV." So um, I am one of those people who would watch Star Trek as a fan, as someone who loved it, counting the number of times I could see like an sure. Asian somewhere, anywhere, like in the background, in engineering, whatever, you know.
0: Yeah, that's a thing that people like like me don't grow up with a with an understanding of is that how much it means to even see an extra in a show mm-hmm. that looks like you in a sea of people that don't look like you. And to see someone even in the background, just the idea I mean, it's the ultimate, you know, literal interpretation of representation of the mm-hmm. idea that, yes, we exist in the future. <laughs> you know, we <laughs> this, you know, this is this is proof that um, we are at least acknowledged, but that if you grow up like me, or you're just used to seeing people that look like you all the time, I had no shortage of of role models. I had no shortage of of characters that I could identify with, even if they weren't, you know, exactly like me personality wise. I had like I had people to choose from, you know, and say that guy's my favorite, you know, out mm-hmm. of all the out of all the white characters.
1: Right. I mean, and it's not like I watch Star Trek and be like well i don't relate to anybody here because right. there's no asian's right and it's like dude i can relate to a klingon i can relate to an yeah. android mm-hmm. right yeah. and and you just do that that's just the work of of watching something and enjoying it right but it does make a difference when i do see myself represented in some closer way to to who i am it's it's all that more special right so mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i've i'm not railing against something like i love like star trek being like oh they didn't do a great job but it's just like you know, like anything else in the world, you are able to put yourself into the shoes of of some a character, a story, and enjoy it. Like regardless of who you are, that's just great storytelling.
2: Mm-hmm. My dad famously told me that he wouldn't see Titanic because he uh, there's not one black person, not even a background actor. <laughs> and when that movie came out, I remember being like. There's gotta be some. They got that lower (laughs) part of the ship where everybody's basically a slave and everyone's shoveling coal. There's one or two. My dad was like, watch it again. And then like the next (laughs) three times I watched it because I was the age when it came out that everyone was like falling all over themselves for Leonardo DiCaprio. I watched it like three or four more times and I was like, fuck, he's right. There is not, this is a huge movie. To not have one black person in the whole thing It's not like we weren't around, like we we weren't doing cool shit yet, but we were there and it really made me think. I was like, God, that is such a, almost feels intentional. It just feels so hurtful to not, not see any inclusion.
1: In a lot of ways, it's just the default, you know, it's just like a default setting that Hollywood Mm -hmm. has just been kind of going on for so long that no one really questions it, right? It's only Mm -hmm. now that you see like a, a concerted effort to just, you know, make diverse inclusion just look like the world a little bit closer that you mm-hmm. that you know it becomes like it suddenly becomes like a big deal when honestly it should just be like hey look outside your window that's not a big deal is it so why why shouldn't your screen reflect that
2: I agree um when did you first start watching trek or what we like to call like what was what was your first contact with star trek
1: uh well i definitely watched the um the old, the original series and reruns when i was a kid right it was on every weeknight. um i was a little too young to really understand what the hell was going on but it was a lot of like ooh, aliens and and spaceships and pew pew you know and so you're like that's cool and then of course like seeing sulu at the helm would always be like oh yeah look like you know there's another instance where like there's an asian guy and so it registered um but like most of the people my my age i definitely got into it um next generation era deep space nine voyager um and that also was like a healthy dose of like after school reruns, um, mm. and you know, there was a point where like it was on every day, multiple times a day, and so you just kind of like you were. If you hadn't seen the series up till then, you could catch up just by watching TV every day, which I did.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what one of the things that I always find very uh, uh, interesting is the the push and pull with Trek and representation, because they are setting up and it they have set up with their premise an accountability system that they are often forced to adhere to if they haven't already, you know, so they it, it's, it's tracking the idea of representation over the years that in the, in the very beginning, the idea that Nichelle Nichols was just on the bridge, even though she didn't have like a ton of storylines, you know, a lot of those characters were, they were regulars, but they didn't, ever it wasn't like next generation where everyone had their turn you know in the spotlight necessarily um to then as it's gone as it's gone longer it's always like it's a little bit i feel like the the casting is always a little bit behind what the culture is but they get there eventually like they mm-hmm. it takes it takes time but eventually they they sort of uh work towards what they do. I mean, when you think about the original series having why is there a Russian guy on the bridge? And it's because the Cold War was happening and mm-hmm. they're trying to present a future where we don't have enemies anymore. You know, we're we're all mm-hmm. one united planet. But so do you see Phil a a series coming uh where there is uh even higher profile Asian representation?
1: I mean, sure. Like why not, right? Um there's like seems like a dozen Star Trek Series, you know, happening or in the works or whatever. And with each one, I'm always like really excited because like, oh, that means there's going to be a whole new cast. Maybe there'll be an Asian in there. Maybe there'll be more than one Asian. Who knows? Like there's always that rule. There's always that rule. It seemed like Hollywood was operating on a rule. Like if there was an Asian person in the cast, you could only have one Mm because you can't have more than one because that's too confusing, right? So who knows? Like um, I would love to see, uh, because Honestly, if you just look at numbers, if you just look at the population of 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 the Earth, uh, the future should have been much more populous. I'm saying Starfleet should have had m- way more Asian people in it from <laughs> Absolutely. the get go, right? Sure, sure. So uh, just proportionally, uh, yeah. it, it just seems like there are a lot more like otherworldly aliens than actual people of Asian descent in Star Trek.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I,
1: I have hope. I have hope.
2: Yeah, I do too. I recently listened to an episode of your pod, All the Asians on Star Trek, uh, the interview you did with Rosalind Chow, who played Keiko O'Brien in both TNG and DS9. I love that talk so much. I, I don't think I've ever heard an interview with her before. And hearing you talk about how she was the, one of the first Asian faces that you got to see on TV, you know, from Different Strokes, from her work in Joy Luck Club, like one of the most prominent people that you got to, you know, really identify with on screen. It was a really cool conversation between you. And she was a little bashful about it, uh, (laughs) about being kind of the, about being a role model maybe? Or I don't know. I don't feel like you were putting her on some kind of pedestal, but it was cute to hear her, yeah, just talk about that experience a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I was geeking out hard. I mean, I I was (laughs) like, like, to me, she's like, She's like a veteran acting. She's a legend in a lot of ways to me um, because she was one of those few people that I saw regularly when I was growing up in movies and television. So um, to have her just across the table, this is this is pre-COVID, so it was, it was, we we're across the table from each other. And mm. I was like, this is so great. And then she was so sweet and so cool. And I don't know if she does like it in-depth interviews with people where we just kind of go and i and i got to gosh i'm mean, like i loved you in different strokes mm-hmm. you know you were in mash yeah. joy Luck club changed my life like all this stuff you know and and then also doing a deep dive where i really appreciated the character of keiko o'brien and her you know and she i feel like you know that was a long time ago for her and uh mm-hmm. she was i mean she's appreciative of the of the experience and in the relationships she was made from it but in a lot of ways it's like you know it was like this is also another job for her but I, but I was like no I I need to I need to communicate to you like this is very meaningful to me in my life.
2: Well it what blew me away and again this doesn't have to be like a, a synopsis show of another podcast you also just go <laughs> listen to that podcast but um wh- what was wild to me was when you pointed out that you had counted her number of episodes and you counted that what I think she was in five TNG episodes and 19 DS9 episodes across seven seasons for each. That is ba-ba-ba-bonkers bu- 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 because she is so present to me. She is I amazing. I thought
0: it was so much more. Absolutely. She feels like a regular. Yeah, that's, for sure.
2: That's wild. And I wondered if it's because we just liked her so much. And I don't know. She just feels very present to me.
1: I mean for me, that's what it felt like. Cause I agree. I was shocked to just do the count and see, like, oh, you weren't really in that many episodes, but her presence is very much felt, and I feel like, at least for me, it was because like her presence registers a little extra, a little extra brighter when I see the nation's face on screen. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's sure. it. Sure.
0: Yeah. I think that Keiko O'Brien is is also a very. Um, she's a very down-to-earth character. She's a very just regular person character because she's not a Starfleet officer. She's not, you know, she's... Mm -hmm. It feels like she has more dimensions than the people that are in this sort of, you know, military exploration organization. And I think that her appearances on the show always do strike a chord because she immediately becomes an audience surrogate in a way that a lot of those Mm -hmm. characters can't be you know, because she's like a regular, regular old human being, you know, out there in space (laughs) with all these things going on. And you, I feel like you just instantly identify with her because a lot of, a lot of it's like, wait, what's we have to, we have stuff at home to worry about. Like, what about, how's that going to affect this thing that we have to do with our child and, you know, all that.
1: Right. And she's also in features prominently in some of my like some of the my favorite episodes, particularly from Next Generation. I mean, she's introduced in in Data's Day, which mm. I think is like a, like a marvelous episode. Mm-hmm. There's an episode where she gives birth, where like uh, where she gi- she gives birth to her kid. Um, I forgot the ep- name of the episode, where but like the ship's just in peril and everything's blocked off, and um, you know she has this great like uh, labor scene with, where Worf delivers her baby. Oh, right. Um, there's the episode where she's shrunken into a kid. Into a, <laughs> into oh, yeah, a, yeah, Into a, a transverse yeah, yeah. oh, action, yeah, yeah. shrinks her to a kid. Um, she's not in that episode much, but the, the young actress that plays her has, like, the one of those awkward scenes ever with her and uh, Colomini as Miles O'Brien. Like, they're oh, trying to play a husband yes. and wife.
2: Yeah. And it's she's so weird. Kid. Yeah, that's a little cringy. Oh, and then there's, <laughs> then there's all those wild episodes where she's, like, kind of the broker in DS9 between the Bajoran, uh, you know, because uh, she's educating all the children on the space station. So she's kind of the she becomes this Switzerland sort of in the in the all the Bajoran hullabaloo and seasons one and two. Yeah, I mean, she really does. That's a lot of heavy lifting for maybe less than 25 episodes across <laughs> two series.
1: There's also I also during the podcast, I asked her about um this one episode where she's possessed by a paw wraith. in do you say sign? Yes. I asked her, did you have a favorite episode? And she cited that one. And I cited the same one, because in that episode, it looks like she's having a blast, <laughs> right? She's not just yeah. playing sort of miles, wife, wife uh, and, and mother to Molly, but she's like, you have to do what I say. I'm gonna kill everybody. I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill Keiko. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. it's so delicious, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah.
2: I love that part of the conversation too. Um, which, which, Yeah, that kind of brings me to my next question about meaningful representation, right? Because it's one thing to have black people on the the bottom level of that Titanic ship, and it's another (laughs) thing to give them agency and storyline and, yeah, just give them points of view that then make them more empathetic to people who maybe would not have thought to see themselves in them at first. Are there any other characters, Asian or otherwise, that you feel like that was handled really well with throughout the franchise?
1: I mean, if you're talking about minor characters getting their due, you know, one of my favorite episodes of Next Generation is the episode The Lower Decks, which, you know, where that that episode uh, has inspired other projects in in Star Trek. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah, I have have that episode to thank for my current gig.
1: You know, uh, I love that one because it, takes the camera angle and points it just a little bit different, a different way, right? And um, someone like uh, Alyssa Ogawa, nurse Alyssa Ogawa, who's also like a fan favorite, Mm -hmm. like recurring character on Next Generation, um, also Asian American, she gets like uh, a good amount of story with these other minor characters. I love that episode also because Star Trek is definitely about the big ideas. But what I also really love about Star Trek is the minutiae, right? And- Star Trek mm-hmm. fans love the minutiae and that episode when it talks about day to day operations of the Enterprise and promotions and performance reviews and stuff like like I love that stuff I love all that <laughs> yeah. kind of like uh, Starship HR stuff that that um, you know we only we sometimes get to see that that episode is all that
2: Starship HR is a great way to put it yeah because it's like you're watching Lavelle uh, and some Lavelle stress about you know, getting promoted and trying to impress Riker. And I love that moment where someone gives him the bad information that Riker's Canadian. And then he goes up to, like, try and buy a drink and get you next to him. And he's like, so uh, my grandfather's from Canada. And Riker's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm from Alaska. He's like, okay, bye. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, Mike McMahon has talked about, our creator for Lower Decks has talked about how obviously that episode was the impetus for the machine of our show, Lower Decks, which is like, you're just you're you're still there fulfilling a function, but you don't know you don't have all the details. You don't know what's going on.
0: Yeah, it's a real uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in space. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I love it. I mean, because you have hundreds
1: of people on this ship. Like, what what are they doing? Why are we still focusing on these five people all the time? You know. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, all that aside, like that episode also on an emotional level is one of the few times I remember. Like watching a Star Trek episode and just crying, like crying mm. because of the whole storyline with uh, with Ensign Seto. and she does the whole undercover thing, and when Picard goes on the speaker and announces to everybody that she's passed, like I, I don't think I cried when I first saw the episode as a kid, but like I recently watched it within the last couple of years as a grown ass adult, mm-hmm. and it totally got to me, and mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm actually sure. kind of I'm actually kind of like tearing up a little bit just talking about it because it it, i don't know it strikes me on a different level now as an adult just that feeling of loss and and being very close to people who are now passing you know as i gotten older that's a thing that has happened to me in my life and so it becomes more real in a lot of ways Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah phil why what made you start this podcast at this time like how long, is this something you'd been thinking about for a long time? And then you were finally like, I got to go ahead and do it. Like how long had it been on your mind before you started doing it?
1: It had been on my mind for a long time. Like I, it had been gestating, like it almost came out fully formed when I actually did start working on it because I had thought about it for so mm-hmm. long. Like part of the reason the idea I got for and I got for it and I thought, oh, I could, maybe I could do this was because, uh, you know, having lived in LA for a little while now, i kind of been plugged into the Asian-American entertainment community in Hollywood. And I know a lot of Asian-American actors and stuff like that. And some of them have been in the industry for a long time. And as I've gotten to know them, I've realized, like, oh, wait, you were on Star Trek? You did a guest spot on, mm-hmm. you know, Eye of the Beholder? Like, I, uh, you know, and so <laughs> yeah. was able to, and I started adding it all up, and I I realized I knew a lot of folks. Uh, and I thought, like, I'd really like to talk to you about Star Trek, or just about filming that or whatever, you know. And, and I thought, If I could compile all those into a, I think I could make a whole podcast about that, you know, about all the Asians on Star Trek. So I got to work and yeah, and then it was delayed a little while because of COVID, because of everything, the world. Uh, But at some point I realized like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to get to it. If I just keep on thinking about it and thinking about how awesome it's going to be, if I finally do it, like (laughs) it's never going to get done. So just got to do it. So you hit record, (laughs) you call up friends, you hit record and you do it.
0: What was the feeling like when you finally uploaded that? Was th- was there the relief of having done it, or was there now the anticipation of how is this going to be received?
1: Well, one, there's like a thousand Star Trek podcasts out there. It seems like, and which is cool, and I was I was glad to sort of because I listened to a lot of them, and I would I wanted to uh, kind of have a a place in there somewhere. But I re but I also was like, is this too? <laughs> niche for is this too narrow of a <laughs> of an interest no Even within Star Trek and I was like ah. when
2: it comes to Trek that doesn't exist I'm <laughs> confident of it you can get as niche as you need to and people will follow you there
1: I've definitely discovered that yeah so I thought well, let's just let's see what happens but I was definitely like uh, well let's see if anybody really cares about this corner of Star Trek and you know a lot of people care about a lot of different corners of Star Trek so uh, that's mm-hmm. been really that's been really fun. Like people mm-hmm. have been very receptive to to all of it, actually.
2: So Trek has had a lot of uh, surprising, you could say, guest stars throughout the years. People that we know now in different ways. Here are some. Let's see if everybody knew about all these. I didn't know about most of these. Um, Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn. We best know him as John Locke in Lost. He was uh, he played Riker's superior officer. On uh, Pegasus, the Pegasus, the episode with Worf, where Worf is like, wait, is that the episode where it's Worf's birthday? No, that's a different no, that's, one. No,
1: that's, no, it's, uh, It's the one where Wrecker um, was involved in like a cover-up. And yes. I think they had technology where the ship could phase, a cloak and phase or something like that, and it was kind of illegal.
2: Next surprising guest star, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> that's right. The Rock was in Voyager. Uh, he played a Tsunkatse champion in the Voyager episode Tsunkatse. I did not recall that one.
1: Yes, he went one on one with uh, with seven of nine.
2: Oh, that's right. Oh, good old Jerry Ryan
1: in the ring.
2: Good old Jerry Ryan. Um, we've talked on the show before about Iggy Pop's bizarre, absolutely perfect, weird guest spot on <laughs> Deep Space Nine and the Magnificent Ferengi. Yeah, we talked with um Aaron McDonald about that, and I I love that appearance because he. In a show all about space and complete other universes, he somehow found a yet a different universe to be in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also got Gabrielle Union playing a Klingon on an episode of Deep Space Nine. We got Sarah Silverman, Kelsey Grammer. Man, this must have been uh, this must have been a good gig. This must have been a good guest gig in the nineties.
0: <laughs> I think there were a lot of people, uh, you know, like Mick Fleetwood, who plays a big fish man. Mm-hmm. um and has no dialogue i think that there were some people that actively requested like said i want to be a part of this uh you know i want to be i want to be part of the canon mm-hmm. um and then of course there's the famous whoopi goldberg story that she wanted to be on the show and no one would believe her and she had to yeah. get she had to get lavar burton to say no she's serious she actually wants to be on the she show. she wants
2: to do this <laughs> oh i love that story um another one of my favorites was uh, bb newworth which I did not recognize (laughs) her at first. She was in uh, the episode of TNG First Contact. And I think she literally has two scenes. And one of them is her just brazenly seducing Riker, Right. And it's such a comedy role. It's fantastic. It's such a like yeah. Broadway diva doing a comedy role. I love it.
0: She's <laughs> incredibly horny immediately for this alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she has been this is her thing and she's been waiting for it to happen. It's yeah. like she's
1: been <laughs> writing alien fanfic like a- weird like alien like romance stories and then all of a sudden it's come yeah. true. It's like my time has come.
2: <laughs> I can't yeah. believe it's actually like, happening. You've come to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too ready, too ready to get it on with the alien. Oh, fantastic! Phil, do you
0: have any uh, dream guests for your podcast, and dream guests that you'd like to see on on Trek in some iteration?
1: Oh man! Uh, well, the my dream guest, and I think this is the guest. If I ever got her on, I can just end the show. Like I'm <laughs> only like 11 episodes in, but if I got her, then I was like, okay, we're done. And that would be Michelle Yeoh. I mean, she's yeah, she's she's the queen. She's a goddess. Even you know before she was ever involved with Star Trek, she was already like just a legend. An icon, yeah, a legend. So yeah. if I ever got to talk to her, I don't know where it could go from there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, there's George Takei, right? I mean, um, right. I, I have talked to him before, just um, outside the podcast, and he's great. And so that would be awesome. Uh, someone who's been in the Star Trek franchise uh, uh, as a guest star is Daniel Day Kim. Uh, he was in episode of Voyager, uh, Blink of an Eye. He and I actually have become friends over the years, and so that's an easy ask, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I want to say that I don't want to like front load the, the right. podcast with just all these <laughs> sure, big names, sure. and then I have nowhere to go, right? So, uh, kind of biding my time with that. So, yeah. Yeah,
2: you got to sprinkle them out. Um, we did get the opportunity to talk to Michelle. She is an absolute otherworldly just a, an elegant being who's also very funny and fun yeah
0: like everything that you want her to be she is yeah
1: i kind of i ca- i kind of don't want to talk to her in a lot of ways because i feel like <laughs> it's like coming too close to the sun like i don't i don't you know i just don't want you know i i i, can't, I don't think i can handle it
2: It it felt a little like that. And then it's also as if the sun immediately is just like throwing an arm around your shoulder and is like, you're okay. And you're like, are you sure?
0: (laughs) I'm not going to burn you, I'm just going to make you feel warm. Okay, you
2: can though. I'm still very aware that you're able to. Um, no, she's absolutely delightful, and hearing her talk about her experience with Trek and with cons and with you know uh, fans and stuff, it's it's wild because she, again, like Rosalind, she is such a legend and has such a long career outside of Trek that mm-hmm. this is just this is just another piece of the artistic puzzle. <laughs> I wanted to ask Phil: Is there
0: anybody you'd like to see on Trek that hasn't been on Trek? Like, who oh, would wow. be fun to see? Wow. Um, and they don't have to be an Asian person, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I would like to see the Korean actor, Song Gang-ho. He was the star of Parasite. Oh, yeah. I would yeah. like to see him in somewhere in Trek. Absolutely. Uh, it would be awesome.
2: Hell, yeah. This might be a, a, a both or either or you don't care type question, but when it comes to representation, do you... I'm gonna say it the messy, problematic way, but what I think is like when there's a black person on a sci fi show, but they're all aliened out and they're not actually presenting like a black human person, it depends for me. Sometimes I'm a little like, well, could we have just had more black people on here? Did you have to make them all, you know, silly puttied aliened? But then sometimes I'm like, actually, that's more fun, like the fact that they mm-hmm. get to play an alien role. So I go real back and forth on that, but do you have feelings about how you prefer your representation?
1: I feel like I'm in a place in terms of Asian representation. Uh, I can't pick and choose. I, I, I can't be picky yeah. about it because there's so little. I'll take it yeah. all. I will take it all. I mm-hmm. you know I'll, I'll take the sort of the alien rep and just and no alien makeup rep is, is totally is great because I love seeing it all. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm I'm in a place where like because there have been so few and it's so scarce. Uh, my friends and I came up with this uh, idea. We call it the rep sweats. Is that when we see an Asian person on screen, I get nervous because I'm going to be like, "Is this going to be yeah. something I- I'm-, I'm proud of?" Is or is yeah. it going to be something I'm like, "I don't know about this." Um, uh-huh. Star Trek is usually very good about this, but when I see, uh, in general, when I see Asians on screen just pop up, I'm like, "All right, what's this?" Like, I brace myself. I'm like,
2: "Yeah, is this
1: going to be good?" <laughs>
2: Yeah, and how quickly do you know that it's gone bad? Is it the name? Is it the the <laughs> chosen profession <laughs> they've given them? I, I feel like it's usually a quick.
1: If you hear a gong in their intro, yeah, and no. It's, it's no good. Oh, it's it's no. gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, gone wrong. Oh,
2: oh, oh,
0: oh. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, oh, oh.
1: Which is like basically anything involving an like something made by white people starring Asians in the eighties. That's it. That's absolutely,
0: like... <laughs> absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's the it's the flower drum song effect. It was like, oh wow, this forward thinking musical that has all Asian people, but then it's like every melodic device is some horribly, you know, a horribly stereotypical <laughs> Far East sound with gigantic air quotes. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I feel like black people don't have a we don't have a gong, but there are there are telltale things that I see or hear or feel. It usually for me it's names. I get this in a script a lot of times. They're if if there's any kind of like white person attempting b- black American names, I'm just like ah oh this no, is, yeah. this feels Whoa. wild to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when it comes to names, I'm always kind of I'm always interested in seeing when um, uh, Asian actors are cast in roles where the name is something like Tom Baker, and you're like yeah, you know, I was like oh was this written for anybody? And they really did cast wide and let anybody. Uh, audition for this role and this Asian person got it. Like, that's cool. I mm-hmm. um, Love that. On the other side, on the other hand, I, I actually really am now really appreciating when someone took, take the time to write in a specifically an Asian character and gives them the name, gives them a background and like, you know, as opposed to like, this is just one size fits all and just like drop somebody in there. Like, that's cool too. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see more of like, someone took the time and care to craft an actual an Asian character with some legitimacy, you know, mm-hmm. it's both.
2: One of the things we talked about last season with one of our guests, um, Angelica Bastian, was about uh, Captain Sisko and how even though if you count the number of DS9 episodes that are about race, it's actually very few where that's like a theme or even talked about. But what what they did a really good job of was embedding him and his family with black cultural tent poles, specifically with Creole food, with them being from New Orleans. Anytime we saw his dad, it was just like black grandpa supreme. Like it just <laughs> felt, so without ever having to like tackle issues of race outside of maybe five episodes or so, or even fewer, we we got the sense that this was a, a, a fully thought out character. This wasn't just a white character that they then put a black actor into. Have there been examples of that for you? I'm trying to think, Was there that specificity with, like, a Harry Kim on Voyager? I can think of a few things with Keiko O'Brien, but, yeah, I'm curious what you think.
1: I mean, uh, so when they introduced Keiko, she was wearing this for her wedding, this, like, chiffon space kimono, basically, as her (laughs) wedding dress. (laughs) Like, okay, that's a cultural note, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, they're, they're very much putting a stamp, like, this is a Japanese character. One thing that I find really interesting is... Uh, on Voyager, Garrett Wong played Harry Kim, right? And Garrett Wong is is Chinese American, and he's playing a presumably Korean American character with the last name Kim. I'm Korean American, so I, I clock that. okay, sure. And that's and that's cool because I like I, I do believe like if there are East Asian actors, they can play East Asian characters um fluidly when it's possible. Although I found out later, and I heard this interview with with Garrett Wong where he said, I think multiple seasons in he was talking to the writers about I I think it's a, one of the first times his character's culture or ethnicity had been broached he just kind of brought it up. They said, "Well, your character is is Chinese, isn't he? I mean, you're Chinese, so yeah. your character's Chinese." And they're like to the writers, he was like, "You don't know the you think my character's been Chinese this whole time with you the just last name, Kim. A name Yeah. Uh they just they just it's just not something that they had thought about." And I was like, "Wow." Um
2: wow.
1: Yeah. So sometimes you should do the research. That's just- <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm gonna say always. Wow, that is wild, and I did not know that. Also, no, like, no,
0: that's oof.
2: What a strange go to for you know, because there's a lot of stereotypical names that I feel like a white writer might go to. Gosh, wow. To so to pick Kim and then cast a Chinese guy and just be like, okay, you're Chinese. Ooh. Yeah,
1: like it's interchangeable. Um, yeah. yeah, if they if they had renamed the character, that would be another thing. But they they just. I think they just presume that Kim Kim was a was a Chinese guy. Yeah. Um The thing that comes up often when I talk to Asian American actresses is that uh, they no longer want to be cast as any characters name, Mei Ling. Mei Ling is the default oh lazy writer's Asian <laughs> <Wow>. woman name. <laughs> I was talking to Rosalind Chow, and she's like, Yeah, mailing or some bullshit, you know? So, yeah, I'm uh, done with that name. <laughs> <laughs> she'll tell if she's casting a role, she'll tell people, Can we change the name <laughs> mailing to something, anything else? Wow.
2: Yeah. I have a friend, my friend Poonam Patel. uh, She's Indian American. And when she gets a role, oftentimes she will ask, if they want the role to be Indian, she will ask them to change the first name. Because I think what happens a lot of times is she does get roles that maybe were written for white women. And she's just like, yeah, I'm 100% Indian. My parents are from India. (laughs) I would not have this name. And if this character is anything like me, you know, we just need to make it something a little closer. And I think having those conversations, while they're not true for everyone, it's so important to just... Let people know, you know, because if if we're all trying to do the right thing and create more opportunity for different people, that means we're going to be writing for things outside of ourselves, And so and that's OK. You just then have to be receptive to when the people who are that thing you're trying to represent say, hey, please, please no more mailing. Please, <laughs> please know that this guy you've written is Korean. <laughs> Phil, what shows
0: beyond uh, Trek have done it well, in your opinion?
1: Oh, uh, well, there haven't been that many. Uh you know, I I actually think like in the mold of a very traditional sitcom, like Fresh Off the Boat was kind of revolutionary. And for what it was to show like a multi-season arc of a of an Asian American family, I appreciated that. Having grown up watching grown up on American sitcoms, it's the sitcom I would have wanted to watch when I was a kid. You know what I mean? So that in that respect, like being able to sort of watch this very traditional Network, sitcom about a about a family, a Taiwanese American family, was was a blast. You know, uh, there's a show on Cinemax, which and it's very Cinemax, called Warrior, and it was conceived <laughs> by Bruce Lee. He never really he never got to make it. the The, the legend is that uh, uh, they took the idea and they made Kung Fu and cast a white guy who's was supposed <laughs> to be starring Bruce Lee. Uh, it made Kung Fu, but this show on Cinemax, Warrior is great in that it's like an exciting action gangster drama, but they managed to slip in some really interesting ideas about Asian American identity, Chinese American identity, immigration, just the struggle of being new in this country and trying to make your way and it's ve- it's actually very uh, relevant to sort of the things that are happening in our country right now. so uh, that show to me is thrilling.
2: Oh that does sound good. So Phil, you also run the website Angry Asian Man. Folks might know you as Angry Asian Man on Twitter. Great follow, by the way, if y'all not following him, go, go ahead and give him one. I like your about section on your blog. I think it says this blog is about Asians in America or this blog's about Asian America. Oh, yeah. T- talk about that. How did that come about?
1: It's funny because because uh, uh, we're coming up on 2021 will be the 20th anniversary of that blog. So uh, wow. uh, yeah, I cannot believe it. Sometimes I think I did the math wrong and I'm like, has it really been 20 <laughs> years? I have
2: a hard time <laughs> believing blogs have existed for that long. How old am I? What am when I doing?
1: I, <laughs> when I started it, I didn't know what I was doing was even referred to as blogging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone told me that later. And I was like, oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. But it's just this, I started it because I was, I, I just had ideas and this internet thing was new and I wanted to share mm-hmm. what I was thinking and about my identity, my community things I was seeing in, in media and pop culture and like anything else. And this is pre-social media. So I think that if Twitter or Facebook or any of these social media platforms had ex- existed back then, I would have just channeled that energy into to that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you share links, you share posts, whatever. But it did not yet exist. So I kind of had to make my own platform and I started blogging. And along the way, I picked up a following, uh, a little bit of notoriety. And so... Um, It's kind of become my personal and professional calling over the years. And Mm -hmm. and because of Angry Asian Man and because of all that, it's 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 why I was able to make all the Asians on Star Trek and all this other stuff. So it's a weird position to be in, to be like having done this now for twenty years. Like I when I was doing it in the beginning, I felt like I was like such a rebel and like and you know, able to say what I wanted, like, you know, on the internet and and just be this voice. Uh, saying whatever I wanted. And now, having been th- done this 20 years, I feel, like, really old. I feel really, like, <laughs> kind of like... I don't want like, to
0: say what I want anymore.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel a little bit beaten down uh, by the internet, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's I good. I mean you. it's Yeah. I, 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 but I appreciate what it has provided for me.
2: It's almost like, do you feel like something kind of seismic would have to shift either in you or in culture for you to lay it to rest. Like there'd have to be this epic moment of equality that happens before you can go, ah, oh, my work here is done and <laughs> lay down your keyboard. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 uh, people have asked me like, well, what happened? Like, what would it take for you not to be angry anymore? And I'm like, <laughs> that's not happening. Any- have you looked at yeah. this past year? I mean, like, <laughs> right. like just no, it's, it's just not, uh, there will always be. It seems like there will always be sort of fuel for that, and so, yeah, I don't mind that. I guess. I guess. Uh, I, what 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 I really appreciate is just that it it's the the site and and everything around it has given me a voice, and so mm-hmm. it's allowed me to, to say what I want, and um it's inspired others to do so too. I think so. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, I'm sure you've heard that from people in, in the way that you know you talking to uh, Rosalind Chow was was so monumental for you. I'm sure that. You must have heard from people that are saying you are you are speaking for me when you say these things. That's these are feelings that I've had and you've expressed them. And I'm so glad that you're putting it out there. I mean, you and and I'm sure through the podcast as well, you have found people that are, you know, other guys like you, people like you that, you know, are were grew up Star Trek fans feeling the same way and. You know that there's a there's a specific community out there that is now finding each other.
1: Yeah, it's 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 funny because when I, as the years went on with the blog, I'd hear from people, and people would say like, they just want to thank me, like, thank you for speaking up, thank you for 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 doing what you do. And I'm all, I've always always like, what what am I doing? I'm just I'm not like, what have I done? You know, um, <laughs> and I was a little bit bewildered by that, but I realize it's it's very much like I think Asians in America are not particularly in encouraged to speak up like we're painted with a broad rush as being very passive and keeping our heads down being like um, just good little minorities good little Mm -hmm. immigrants and just do what you got to do and don't cause trouble and I I think the idea that anybody would be outspoken and stand up and raise their voice if you're Asian American to a lot of people that was like really provocative Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of people were were inspired and, and reacted to that, and I mean the best the best comments that I've gotten over the years is that it are people who are like are other Asian Americans who've been geographically isolated in their area. They come from a place where like I'm the ol- I was the only Asian in my school. It was hard, um, yeah. but reading your blog was very helpful. It connected me to a larger community beyond the confines of my physical space, and and showed me that like I could plug into something more and. That to me I'm like that's all I'm I'm glad I did this then you know cuz that's awesome.
2: Yeah. That stuff is so important. Yeah. I mean yeah, I think that's also why why a lot of us gravitate towards Trek too just to see ourselves represented in a different way maybe. Yeah. Um we talked last season with um Michelle Heard about how I have this opinion that Trek is popular among black families because especially in the 90s it was something that we could watch as a family that didn't have to that didn't center our race in like a trauma story type way it was just like you could just see black people being space captains and piloting stuff and not have to deal with the things that normally tv at that time was forcing us to deal with it's like when the representation comes you want you want it to feel light sometimes and it doesn't always it doesn't always feel that way because they're trying to correct the fact that we haven't seen enough of us in TV. And so a lot of times writers are trying to, you know, answer for that a little bit and Mm -hmm. talk about the hardships, which is important, but sometimes you just want to, sometimes you just want to be battling aliens, you know, let us battle.
1: For me, it's, (laughs) it is that optimistic, that hopeful vision of the future where, you know, like we can aspire to be part of something that's greater than just the dirty stuff that's going down, down here. Um, And then on top of that, I mean, like I talk about minutia and all those little things that fans really like, and it holds us together to talk about and 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 you know sort of um, get excited about on on message boards and things like that. Um, all that stuff, it like in a lot of ways, it's like it transcends kind of like the the the, the things that divide us. And you're like, you, we we all love this one, we love this show, we all love mm-hmm. this the movies and the TV, we all love the world that was created. With all the building blocks of this minutiae, right? Um, and that—that that what brings us together. I mean, my favorite thing is going to like a con, going to like Comic Con and seeing like you wait in line for some some something that you all love. I'm next to you know next to this giant crowd of people that I have not really outside of this nothing <laughs> in common with. But you can just strike up a conversation with stranger number one for the, the entire hour duration of this line sure, and become best friends because of yeah. this of this thing that you love you know
2: <laughs> I love that okay I have one more like kind of loaded question well I say it's loaded because I feel like I want to make sure that people who come on the show know that if they have a criticism of the franchise it's welcome and not to feel like you have to be careful about it yeah and but- after this
0: I have an extremely loaded question <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't even know if loaded is the right term. I guess I'm just like, here's a question that you might feel weird about answering, but I want you to. How do you feel when certain traits are borrowed from human Earth cultures to then create aliens in the franchise? And I'll I'll stay vague so that if you want to get specific, you can, but it does that count as representation? Or <laughs> is it weird space appropriation
1: <laughs> it is weird space appropriation i think yeah. um especially when it's in, done in such broad stroke like such broad like stereotypical strokes right and you know we might like a lot of people say that um some people say that Spock was asian you know mm-hmm. uh some people will attribute sort of his um his demeanor to to a certain kind of asian person his logic his his sort of his his absence of emotion, like some people mm-hmm. will, you know, attribute that to Asians. I I I think that I, I think if you can, you can you can take inspiration from a culture or an ab- attribute, that's one thing. But I think for the most part, like I think Star Trek avoids that in 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 most most cases, right? I think maybe in the old school in the original series, there's a little bit more. The the analogies were a little more thin. It's annoying when you see it, and it's not very. Uh, it's not very subtle. Let's just say that. Mm. Yeah.
2: Sure. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it it can kind of change minute to minute. At least for me, where sometimes I'm going, ooh, what are these aliens? Are these supposed <laughs> to be uh, something that we're recognizing? And then sometimes it's fine. But yeah, I, I yeah, I think I agree with you on the space appropriation side of it. it can get a little weird. Paul, what's your super loaded question? <laughs> I don't have a super loaded question. Dang. <laughs> I wanted something spicy for the end of the pod here.
0: How many Asians from Star Trek are left to interview?
1: So I have compiled a list and uh, it's pretty long. Like, and this is compiled over just watching hours and hours. (laughs) Right. And then seeing somebody, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna write that down. (laughs) Uh, Write that name down and maybe I'll get to them someday. There are a lot. Mm -hmm. There are quite a few and quite a few... um, names that like are like semi-known like people would know them um and uh this show could go on for a while i i think uh, the podcast could could exist for a while and and they keep making star trek so yeah. there's there you know they're going to there are going to be more Asians in the future so i i That's uh, true. Yeah, i have no fear that this is going to end anytime soon.
0: Great. That is that is very good to hear.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's one of those things where it's like you start it to point out that there's maybe not enough, but hopefully, as it keeps going, you'll never have to stop. There'll just be seasons upon seasons of it.
1: I'm gonna start. Get, yeah, I'm gonna have to start asking, like, you know, uh, background extra number three from <laughs> yeah. you know some odd episode of Deep Space Nine to be on, and I'm I'm cool with that too. But uh, I, you know, you kind of need to spread out the good stuff throughout right. the run, right?
2: <laughs> for sure. For sure. I was gonna say that I could um, help you start keeping a tally, but then I was like, I don't think I should have a list of Asians just in my possession. I think it's okay if you have it, but like, I'm just, I'm not gonna do that just because I don't I don't want that.
1: That's gonna be an awkward conversation. Someone comes upon that list, and like, what, Tony? Why you got this?
2: What is? This? I'm like, no, it's for a podcast. What it's for this? a podcast. My friend Phil, he needs it. You're like, mm, I'm suspect. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Uh, we told the people about all the Asians on Star Trek. Great pod. They should check out great conversations with people involved in Star Trek. So listeners of this will love that. Um, what else do you want to tell people about or tell them where they can find you?
1: Uh, you can find my blog at angryasiaman.com. You can also check out my other podcast. It's called They Call Us Bruce. It's with my good friend, Jeff Yang. We call it an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. And- uh, that's pretty much it.
0: Fantastic. Love it. Well, Phil, thank you so much for chatting with us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's been an honor.
2: Well, that was our conversation with Phil Yu, podcaster, smart person, blogger, fan, yeah, all, all of the things. I really enjoy
0: talking with Phil. I think he's uh, a really cool and funny and smart dude. And you can, again, you can check out his stuff at angryasianman.com.
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, that is it for this episode. Uh, we look forward to bringing you more episodes with more fun, cool people. But yeah, definitely go check out uh, all of Phil's projects, his podcast that we mentioned at length in this interview, All the Asians on Star Trek. Follow him on Twitter at Angry Asian Man. All of the things.
0: Yeah, and we'll be back next week. Until then, please live long and prosper.
2: Please do it. It's our one request. I have several more requests.
0: It's my one request.
2: Okay, I'll put them in writing. I'll I'll get them to you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.